0: My name is Germ. This is Germ Warfare, the Battle of Ideas. It is Thursday evening. What's the date? The twenty-first of January. Nine, just after nine p.m. South African time, in Ottawa, Canada. I suspect it's around about three p.m. Is that right, Prof. Denis Rancour. Rancourt. It's
1: two p.m. at the moment. Two p.m. Yeah.
0: All right, let me just get yeah. this right so i want to get that french pronunciation pronunciation correct denis rancourt
1: yeah that's very good close very good very good yeah
0: right so those yeah so i don't
1: th- mind when people say rancourt uh but i do prefer the denis as opposed to dennis Dennis, yeah.
0: right so to those watching it's it's denis uh to my fellow south africans bring out your your french elitism for the next hour and a bit (laughs) um so you're you're in Ottawa let me let me I I can't quite remember your full bio um but I've got it here in front of me I took notes um so I just want to get this right uh, Denis you're a former former and I'm going to ask you about that in a second former tenured full professor of physics at the University of Ottawa that means that you can't get fired am I correct
1: that That's what it means when you're tenured, that you can't get fired except with cause. I But I was dismissed. There was a huge legal battle in relation to uh, my dismissal, and then we uh, negotiated a global settlement. It took 10 years to settle it.
0: 10 years. Uh, with
1: the help of my union, and it was a huge legal uh, and public relations battle. But it's now completely settled to everyone's satisfaction.
0: Can I make a, a terrible joke and say then that you're a former... 10-year full professor.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, it was actually two decades more than two decades, <laughs>
0: but yeah, and then um, I took notes here and I, it's uh, it also says yeah You're a researcher. Uh, that's present tense for the Ontario yes. Civil Liberties Association Yes What is what that's is that? right?
1: Uh, well, it's a it's it's a civil liberties association, so it's a volunteer run organization that uh, fights for and advocates for uh, civil rights in the province of Ontario in Canada. So we, you know, we do a number of things. Uh, we've got a web page, and we explain the the, the various uh, actions that we try and do. We wrote to the World Health Organization in relation to the pandemic. We wrote to the World Health Organization and said, "This is crazy. You can't be recommending masks. And uh, right. This is all the science. We reviewed it for them, and so on." We wrote to all the government people in Canada, provincial and federal, and said the government response to this is contrary to science. It's harmful. You have to stop. Here are the studies and so on. You know, we we do things like that in terms of the public open letters, and we help individuals and people who are being attacked in various ways.
0: And then just to just to drive home the point that you do know what you're talking about, you've published more than 100 articles in journals. I mean, that, that is actually quite something. And you've been cited over 5,000 times.
1: Yes, and the, the one of the characteristics of my research is that it's very interdisciplinary. I have published in journals that deal with vastly different areas of science. Everything from biogeochemistry all the way down to, all the way down or up, if you like, to yes. theoretical physics, aspects of theoretical physics. So I I'm I've, I ran a big research lab. I was the lab director for over, two decades and I was funded uh, nationally and well respected I've given 40 times I've given keynote or plenary talks at international conferences to scientists so yeah I I was you know well recognized in, in many different areas of science and I've made some fundamental discoveries and so on so yeah that's that's my background so and and a lot of my background is very specifically uh, relevant to COVID matters yes for example I'm 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 an expert in uh, environmental nanoparticles and the physics and chemistry and environmental aspects of nanoparticles in 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 the environment so that's directly related to aerosol particles that can carry viruses right I'm an expert in measurement methods the, the, the whole spectrum the whole suite of various measurement methods everything from diffraction to micro various kinds of microscopy spectroscopy and so on and I've taught that at the graduate level in a very popular graduate course that I gave to s- students from all faculties so yeah I've done I've done a lot of things and a lot of it is is is, is it, let's put it this way I'm an expert reader of the scientific literature I, I know statistics at the highest level I've used Bayesian inference theory and all kinds of statistical approaches in my research uh, and so on so I can I know when a scient- you know, when auth- scientific authors are stretching the limit of what they can really conclude, or when they're just saying things for the sake of sounding good versus their mm. actual firm results, I can, I can sort all that out. I, I, know, I know what is PR and what is actual f- firm results that follow from uh, the measurements that were made.
0: Well, let's just deal with those obvious hater types who bring up the fact that you've had one or two articles retracted.
1: Well, not not retracted. Um, I've had I've had two articles that were deplatformed from ResearchGate, but they were not in peer-reviewed journals. They were just put up there on ResearchGate, right? Mm. Um, I've never had a, a, a one of my journal articles retracted or anything like that. No, but no, there's a lot of deplatforming and censorship going on for sure. Yes. Yes. No. I agree. And yeah, yeah.
0: Um, and uh, one of the things that I Um, noticed immediately is that you have an affiliation to Panda, which, of course, is a very good start.
1: Well, that's a a new uh, affiliation for me, and I'm very glad to be part of Panda. Panda is uh, is an exciting group. I think they're up to 150 people now, a lot of Mm. MDs and scientists and so on, and we discuss uh, science regularly, science and policy and so on in, in various forums, uh, by Zoom, it's very exciting. It's really nice to be able to interact with a rich variety of scientists and and medical people. Yeah, I really like it.
0: So, now that we've covered all all that stuff, let's get to the mm. real conversation. Okay. And one of the okay, look, I have put my neck on the line over the last, let's say, ten months. Um, South Africa's lockdown. Uh, came into being towards the end of March and it pretty much hasn't ended and I suspect it won't end until probably 2022. Um, I am of the opinion, uh, Denis, that PCR is at the foundation of this entire thing. They keep testing and testing more and testing more. Um, I know about the the Kormandrosten Drosten review that's been submitted to Eurosurveillance. i don't have high hopes that it's going to get published mainly because of political lobbying um in your view just before we actually get to the conversation where are we at globally
1: oh globally i don't know i mean it, that's the thing about this this so-called pandemic is it's, it's very different from place to place even the uh death rates that you can look at uh, based on good all-cause mortality data, are dramatically different uh, from one small département in France. I know you've been to France. One small region in France—not even a region—it's it's, it's a county. From one county to the next, there's like 50 counties in France. Uh, it, you can go from zero to 100. You know, if you're on on that kind of a scale. Mm. Uh, and so there are hotspots that are very localized, and then there's nothing. And the same is true of the of the states in the united states when when i did my study on all-cause mortality there were more than 30 states that didn't even have a signal they didn't register deaths in relation to uh what was happening in the declared pandemic so it's you know to try and generalize globally what's happening to to speak in global terms about where we're at and so on is very difficult to do um but overall this has been in my view this has been a a scam a a lie a distortion uh in my view there there you know we always have viral respiratory diseases and we always mm-hmm. have many of them acting in any season that co you know that that together infect many people in 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 the various jurisdictions and so on um that's always there. You see, you, you, you hinted at this idea that the, the start of this was a, was the uh, faulty PCR test. Mm. I would put the start of this before that. I would put the start of this uh, when they first were uh, saying that there are strange symptoms we've never seen before. There's a cluster of them, and we ascribe them to this new virus. and they and they uh, uh, through indirect methods, gave a kind of concocted genetic code for that virus okay and they put that out there it was not peer-reviewed at first it was sent out there and every it's almost like scientists have forgotten how to do proper science because now all you have to do is say that you've got the the full genetic code put it out there and the Mm. and the and the thing exists okay it exists you've never isolated it you've never purified it you've never taken uh, uh, sufficient fluid from an infected person and gone through the the process of actually isolating it. So you've got a pure sample that when you put it on the microscope, you see several particles of this one type of virus. And you can tell if it's contaminated with a few other types of viruses Mm. and so on. And then you take that purified sample and from it on an ab initio basis do the genetic coding. Okay, all of that has never been done. As far as I can tell, and I keep reading the literature, so the, we're stuck with this uh, genetic sequencing that is convincing a lot of people that, therefore, a a new virus has been, you know, is out there and is yeah. the thing causing everything. You see, I I've argued that I've argued that any virus or combination of vi- viral respiratory d- diseases could have done the same thing. You always have sick people in the winter. You see, this is a seasonal uh, mechanism. So there's always a, a maximum in all cause mortality in, in the in the mid latitude northern hemisphere, uh, you know, Europe, North America and so on. You always have this huge seasonal winter peak of all cause mortality and then a trough in the summer. And that cycle has existed since we've been measuring it accurately. And you can have extraordinarily high quality data since the Second World War, for example, and you can just see it year after year. Well, the all-cause mortality uh, that is above that summer baseline has not been statistically different in 2020 than it has been for the last two decades. But anywhere except in the U.S., in certain states in the U.S., where some really unusual things happen, which I think I know what's going on there. But in in just that exception, you actually have a number of total above-baseline deaths, that is statistically anomalous. That's statistically higher than, than you would normally get. Yeah,
0: and I mean, I'm going to I'm gonna ask you a little bit about that um, as we kind of build up a little bit. I just also want to uh, just remind you that I am doing this on a dedicated server. This is not on YouTube. There's no censorship. So you've got nothing to worry about. You don't have to talk in code as, as people do on YouTube so that they don't get deplatformed. <laughs> I don't right. do that. <laughs> Fantastic! I You're in the right place. Throat.
1: I've always um, just, I always say what
0: I want. Yeah. Yeah. Great stuff. Well, okay, and, and me too. Um, I just want to quickly before we go on, I, I want to just quickly ask you a question that I've got in front of me. Um, you were mentioning the variation of numbers from from region to region around the world. When I asked you sort of for a global outlook, um, and the question I got you is how can stats differ so much from one tiny county to another in a single country? Um, if this is a fairly predictable uh, respiratory
1: disease? Yeah, that's an important question, Jeremy. Um, that You really hit an important point. Um, if you look at all-cause mortality associated with this seasonal cycle, uh, that phenomenon never happens. It never occurs. You can follow it from state to state in the United States over the last many decades, uh, from country to country in Europe and so on, and you never get these jurisdiction-to-jurisdiction uh, dramatic differences in in the deaths that can be attributed to what's going on in that seasonal uh, Stress that's due to viral propagation that occurs in the winter. So so this is never before seen uh, With regards to uh, these viral respiratory diseases. Okay, so that's what ha- that is one of the reasons that I have con- Concluded in my research and I've written two big papers about this Um, The deaths were due to the measures that were imposed. They were due to what was done in a particular jurisdiction uh, as opposed to another and not due to the normal propagation of a virus in an, in an unperturbed population where you don't have these, these, these really stringent measures being applied Mm. and also stringent, or let's say aggressive reactions to the potential of this new pandemic in terms of treatment in hospitals and so on. Right. So so um, it's clear to me let, let me, let me spell out why I believe that the, the deaths are not normal, that they are induced by the response. These are response-induced deaths, okay? I'm not saying that people didn't die from the virus or a virus or a, a collection of viruses. I'm saying that the anomalous and well-characterized uh, peaks in the all-cause mortality are due to the response. Not not the underlying virus. Okay, here's the reason. First of all, where these dramatic uh, rises in deaths occurred in the in the jurisdictions where it occurred, everywhere around the world, it occurred synchronously just after the pandemic was announced by the World Health Organization. So there's synchronicity there. You have these sharp and a sharp edge of rise in deaths just after the eleventh of March 2020 wherever you're going to get an anomaly it happens at the same time and that's just after the the World Health Organization said okay we've got a pandemic now prepare your hospitals cuz there's a lot of people going to be wanting your hospital services well well that's so there's synchronicity first of all secondly it's it's granular like we've never seen before there's never been a phenomenon like this in terms of uh, a, pro, a supposedly fast propagating disease that is dramatically different from one little region to the next even if they're neighboring regions viruses do, do not normally respect borders or jurisdictions a government jurisdiction they just don't they never have and you could look at all the data this never happens yeah. so that's a second reason and the third reason is that in the northern hemisphere where this uh, sharp edge rise occurred and, and and i've been studying it in detail it um it occurs very late in the cycle of deaths that's that is associated with the seasonal variation so there's never been in all the data I've looked at there's never been such a late peak in the cycle of all-cause mortality okay those three things together point to uh, what I have proposed is that those deaths cannot have to be due to the measures and what was done in those jurisdictions and what was done in those jurisdictions, for example, in Canada, 90% of the deaths were in care homes, elderly people in care homes. New York and also. And what they did was they. Hmm? New York yeah. also. Yeah, yeah. And so um, um, what they did to prepare the hospitals to follow the World Health Organization was to uh, empty, uh, well, to transfer infected and sick people into these care homes. And at the same time, have an imposed lockdown of all these care homes, a very stringent lockdown. So they 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 uh, seeded all the care homes with infections of various kinds, whatever whatever they are. When you're in a hospital and you're in intensive care and so on, you, you are infected with a number of things, chances mm-hmm. are, you know? So they seeded the care homes in this way and then locked them in. Now locking them in, even from a purely biological point of view, is the worst thing you can do to have an epidemic within the care home, okay? first because transmission is through aerosol particles and you need ventilation that's been proven over and over again the world health organization itself has written big reports about the need for ventilation to prevent uh spread in in the built environment and so on so instead you you close the windows you close the doors you don't even have natural ventilation you lock them in that way but also jeremy i gotta tell you it's not like science just started in 2020 we've got decades <laughs> of really good science, you know And what is known about viral respiratory diseases since decades is that an individual is more likely to be infected when they're exposed and more likely to be very sick from being infected based on two factors that are the dominant factors for relatively young, healthy people. One is the level of psychological stress that the individual is being subjected to in their lives, that they're feeling in their lives, Mm -hmm. subjected to and felt, okay? And secondly, is the individually as socially isolated? That is a huge factor in how sick you're going to get. No, no, I'm talking about actually responding to the infection of that virus. How intense the response is, is... the, fa- the two factors that determine that are psychological stress and social isolation. This is work that's been done for decades by a professor Cohen in the United States. He spent his career doing this, and these effects are not small. You don't need to tease out something from a randomized control trial. He, his, his graphs and his results are stunning. Okay, now that's for this was done at a time where you were allowed to infect university students with influenza to do these measurements okay so he would he would he would purposefully with a known strain infect young adults and see who would get infected from the the same infection procedure and how bad the disease would be and he correlated it in a very strong way to psychological stress and the degree of social isolation of the individual that's
0: fantastic actually because I've been wondering about that for months
1: well it's very important and it you know it, it's all. It's also if people are aware of their own bodies and they're living in, in a place where there is this seasonal cycle of, mm. of influenza and so on, you you notice it for yourself. You're you're more mm. likely to get sick and really sick if it if if it's a stressed period in your life or at work and so on. Um, but anyway, that is a hard science result. This is not a subtlety. You're not. It's not. It's not something you can argue about. So so in other words they in terms of the known science and in terms of killing people in care homes they did the worst possible things they isolated the the elderly vulnerable people from their families from their usual routine from their usual mobility being able to go outside and so on they they closed them in into an environment where you have suspended aerosol particles Mm. uh and you're not ventilating them um and uh so this was this was almost a res- it was a recipe to have epidemics in care homes that's what it was um what what they did how they responded so whenever governments say we have to protect the vulnerable i cringe yes. because i know what they're thinking of is locking down these institutions and creating the conditions where you're going to kill as many a, 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 as many as you can you know in a sense so so I cringe when they say we have to protect the vulnerable in fact um, Sweden is a Mm. country that didn't have overall uh, lockdowns and um, but they did lock down their their care homes they did want to protect the elderly well Sweden had a large peak of deaths in care homes even though you you see what I'm saying Mm. and and so so what how you treat the vulnerable because they're the ones most likely to die from these infections exactly what you do to them is vital it's it's crucial and the thing you don't want to do is protect them with special unproven methods like locking them into the homes and things like that
0: well i mean talking about unproven and of course science i don't know if you are aware but if you aren't aware the hair on your arms is going to stand up right now but in south africa we are we are prohibited from going to the beach anywhere in the country we are prohibited from going to the beach because apparently going to the beach Denis, is what they call a super spreader event do you have that term where you are
1: of course Uh, that's that's insane it's contrary to science okay especially at a beach you're going to have you you normally have air movement Okay, because of the difference in temperature between the water mass and the land mass and so on you've got wind it's it's flat usually so you've got wind there there is no way that an outside beach environment can be a place that you can consider to be one where transmission will occur that is completely contrary to science it's insane okay it, it doesn't even matter how, if you're close together. I mean, I, I don't know what you would have to do to, to, to have transmission events at a beach in a beach environment. You know? I, I don't want to yes. think about it. Well, please, please
0: don't judge me. But, uh, please don't judge me. I didn't make the, that stupid rule.
1: <laughs> oh, no. I'm not judging you. I'm not judging you. I'm, I'm, I'm responding to what your government did, you know? Um, it, it is the whole thing about… Okay, look. Transmission occurs in the built environment. For these viral respiratory diseases, period, period. People have to understand that there is there is study after study of showing that transmission occurs in the built environment. You know, this daycare center. You measure the 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 density of of aerosol particles that are laden with viruses, and you notice that many of the kids caught caught the thing, and so on. This has been done over and over again. Airplanes, where you have. Uh, Circulating air in the airplane, but the air is not ventilated out, and you know that one person's infected, and within a within a week or so you you follow them, and everyone or a lot of the people that were on that airplane are infected. so we know there are many, many scientific articles about how transmission occurs this is This is one it's just so crazy because you have to understand with viral respiratory diseases, it's not like we started studying it this year. We have known for a long time. Why um you have this seasonal uh effect in mid latitude countries it's because mm. aerosol particles are only stable in air when the absolute humidity is low, which is the winter okay, and that would be the winter in the southern hemisphere yeah. as well so 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 you it would be our summer you see, and this has all all been studied it's been documented, and the measurements of how stable actual aerosol particles are depending on humidity of air have been done in the laboratory mm. you know in the 70s they were doing this this is it's it's really well on a lot of this stuff is really well understood and the and the, and the great variety of viruses that are that that uh, propagate this type of disease always with very similar symptoms basically the virus uh, through aerosol particles comes into your lungs through the air it starts infecting the surfaces of your lungs You get sick, you fight it off, you have symptoms that are related to an infection in your lungs. This this has been happening forever. Mm. You know, viruses have co-evolved with breathing animals since there were breathing animals. There were viruses around before there were breathing animals. Uh, They've been around, as far as we can tell, from the very first uh, living cells that appeared Mm. on the planet. There were viruses uh, that that co-evolved with them. So these things are... There's a great variety of them, and they've evolved uh, to, be, to persistently be there, mm. and uh, you know, if, if they were killing the hosts, they would die out themselves,
0: right? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to come uh, to that yeah. in a second, um, but you mentioned humidity, and I've got a question here for you from um, mm. a viewer. You're saying, look, a Prof, you initially claimed a second wave would be due to changes in humidity. Have you updated that opinion in light of recent spreads?
1: um okay so what I have said is there won't be a second wave there'll be a 1,000th wave okay in other words there are increases in all-cause mortality every winter in places where we talk about these diseases okay and the there's always mutations there's always a variety of viruses that are acting in in the community in the population and so there's always going to be a peak in mortality like that. So that's that's what I've said. Um, now I think the the person asking the question may be referring to uh, surges in all cause mortality that are not related to the winter season. For example, in the United States, there was a huge hump right in midsummer. Crazy stuff that's never been seen before. Okay. The only time the only time that I know of in the data where there has been a peak in midsummer, in all cause mortality, is one time in Europe and France where there was a heat wave, a terrible heat wave mm-hmm. in August 2003, and it caused a sharp peak and killed some 10,000 people in France. Otherwise, you never get that, which is why I have said, and we're back to what I originally said at the beginning of the interview these anomalous mm-hmm. peaks, in the, which are only occurring in the United States where we have good data, um, have to be due to the measures. These are yes. deaths associated with everything that was done and so on, right? Do you think, Prof, that that's related to why we in South
0: Africa, which is currently mid-summer, we're sitting with a peak. We're sitting with a lot of full hospitals right now. We, If you look at our media, it's a catastrophe. It's almost worse than what it yeah, was well, six months ago. You're,
1: you're, you're judging how... F- Filled the hospitals are by looking at your media as you say that's the first thing you know, <laughs> that's one of the problems here is it's, it's very hard to get good data mm. to get objective proper quantitative unbiased data but is death or death, surely yeah a death is a death but um a, a hospital bed is a hospital bed also but you've got to go and see the hospital beds mm. you've got to register the death you know if you if you want good data you have to actually go out into the field and do these things um so you can't just you can't just interview the head of a hospital who says oh my god we're overloaded this year Mm. and and the journalist doesn't think to ask them "Well, what was it like last year or what was it like for the last 10 years or you know and so on so it's very hard to get, get good data um but uh hospitals in at least in 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 our uh, in the northern in Canada let's say hospitals are always overburdened in the winter all cause mortality is higher in the winter and this is true of heart conditions mm. uh, bacterial pneumonia and viral respiratory diseases those are the three that are normally go together and, and cause that big peak in the winter so there are but often something... times where hospitals are are overburdened yeah. but
0: something weird is happening at the moment i mean we don't oh, yeah. normally we don't normally have um uh, all this kind of activity going on in the hospitals, midsummer towards the end of January here in South Africa. Um, I mean, I can. Okay, tell you there are
1: two I- things, Jeremy. There's two things. Okay, first, you have to be sure that the activity you're talking about is actually documented. That there are actual investigative journalists went on site and they actually verified this, and you can get good data. You can mm. talk about specific hospitals where this is happening and show evidence of lineups and people lying around in the hallways and so on. But first, you have to have good data. And then secondly, um, you have to say, well, is this, is this normal or not? Is it anomalous for this time of the year? And then thirdly, if it's anomalous, what's it due to? And it, it's not because everyone's wearing their COVID glasses that it's necessarily due to a sure. virus. Sure, okay? yes. Um, so here we're in a situation, I don't know how bad it is in South Africa, but in the United States, they have dramatically perturbed the society, the structures, the support networks. People Mm. have lost their jobs, their livelihood. Mm. They've been uh, socially isolated like never before. They're they're having to self-medicate. They're drinking more. There's more depression. There's Mm. all kinds of horrible things that are a consequence of telling people you cannot go out you uh, only essential services are allowed to have you know to work Mm. you can't travel you have to be afraid of everyone and stay socially distanced you know this two meter rule and so on it's crazy uh, the extent to which they have perturbed our lives and our and our livelihoods and the things that we normally do and that we normally Mm. consider to Mm. be normal so 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 given all of that who are the people that are likely to be harmed enough to want to go to the hospital? That's what you have to ask. You'd have to go in and say, who's in the hospital? Why are they there? How did they get here? What's their story? You'd have to do field work. You'd have to, if there really are more, you know, and, and how different are they, and so on. And I mean, you but can I can see... tell you one thing th- Sorry, they're go. not doing investigative work right now. There, there's mm. no, uh, no, they're no, they're not doing autopsies. They're not doing um, forensic uh, analysis, you know, of anything. All they do is they use a faulty PCR test and confirm that, according to this test, uh, COVID is present, and therefore will tick that box, and that's all there is to it. This is a COVID phenomenon. Everyone's wearing those glasses. Everyone's doing. Everyone gets. Everyone within the institutions is rewarded for having that behavior, as opposed to trying to figure out what's really going on.
0: You know, you were saying now that it's created some psychological problems, and I, I honestly think that that is a major uh, variable. Um, it's it's a difficult one to prove because a friend of mine who's an anesthetist at one of the largest hospitals in Johannesburg, um, you know, he says that the hospital is is full, but it it's not catastrophic. It's normally full. Um, ICUs tend to operate at eighty percent capacity always; otherwise, they go into too much debt, um, uh, but he also says that there's a problem with critical care and, and ventilation and people are panicking and they, they don't know what they're doing and they're putting people onto oxygen too quickly and using too much. Are you aware of anything like that?
1: Oh, well, it's proven. Uh, there was a very strong and important scientific article that, shows that showed that these ventilators killed people, pure and simple. You put them on ventilators and you kill them they would not have died if if you hadn't done that there was a a a large study published in the scientific journals that 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 showed that for new york the 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 state of new york so there's no there's no question in my mind that part of this peak that i said was due to the measures is is in part due to the treatment because treatments were very aggressive Mm -hmm. mds and treating physicians feel that they have carte blanche They they feel they can do anything because a, a pandemic's been de- declared. It's been declared to be something virulent and special, and so on, and therefore mm. they can throw everything they can think of at you uh, to, to try and save you. So a lot of a lot of that would have caused deaths, in my opinion. But you know, uh, Jeremy, you said uh, you know uh, stress is maybe a big factor. I want to remind your listeners about mm. some science. There's this is this is not controversial stuff. This is extremely well. Uh, established science. Do you know what the single biggest indicator, factor, uh, that co-associates with an individual's health is according to many animal and human studies? Everybody is now recognizing this. The biggest factor, the the determinant, if you like, is where you stand in terms of being subjected to hierarchical dominance, stress okay Sure. we are social animals we live in a dominance hierarchy they've they've done this with monkeys all kinds of social animals and the biggest predictor of whether the animal will be mostly sickly spend a lot of their time in not great health and die sooner than the others is the, the extent to which they're being subjected to this hierarchical stress in other words they're low in the they're low in that hierarchy and they're being put in their place constantly And in a random fashion, they're being aggressed just to remind them who the boss is and so on. That is the biggest predictor of social animals in terms of your health. That's the number one thing, okay? So we have to keep that in mind. We also have to keep in mind another important uh, proven fact, at least in Western countries, developed countries where these studies have been done, the the third um, uh, causal factor of death is medicine itself. That's huge, right? You've got cancer, you've got uh, heart uh, disease, and then you've got medicine. And a lot of people argue that medicine is maybe second because it depends how you count and what you mean by that. But clearly, the complications that come from prescription drugs, their combination, their bad prescription, their over prescription, there is a huge killer. Huge. So, with that context in mind, where there have now been dozens of studies, there are entire journals about how medicine causes death. Wow. Okay? It's now an area of study. Um, and there have been many, many reviews that demonstrate the, the, the degree to which uh, 400,000 deaths every year in the United States, for example, okay, are caused by medicine, the medical establishment, what it does to people. So that is the context. Now, in that context, it's not hard to imagine that when you declare a pandemic and everyone's running around like crazy, uh uh um clinicians are going to do things that could cause death. Okay? And it's it's been proven now. So that's the context that we have we always have to put it in the in the broad context of what we know about the system, what we know about human societies, and what we know about the disease itself. And 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 that's the context that I try to use in in my analysis. But the question that keeps coming
0: up, Denis, um, is okay. So all these people are dying. Uh, somebody knows somebody who's died of COVID, but now it's changed to COVID-related. Um, what is going on? Flu seems to have disappeared. Um, it almost seems. It almost seems like it's. Ooh, I've got to be Everything careful here. I,
1: I, I don't want to say a hoax, but it almost seems that way. Everything that seems is what you're seeing through the media and what they're telling you. That's, that's important, you know, it's important to, to, to really keep that in mind. In fact, we even judge how effective our own actions are, our political actions, we, we incorrectly judge that based on what we see in the mainstream media. You cannot judge, if you're, if you're politically trying to get people to be more rational about COVID and you're talking to people and you're doing interviews and you're doing all kinds of things, you cannot do that and judge how effective your action is by looking at the mainstream media. That's mm-hmm. insane because that's not where you're going to see your resolve. They're not gonna tell you that you're succeeding. You have to use different measures than that. You have to look at um, uh, the feedback you're getting how many people are responding? Who's responding? When are they responding? And so on. You have to do your own uh, measure of the uh, impact of your efforts. And the same is true about any aspect. When you're trying to uh, perceive what the world is, you cannot just listen to the media. Mm. You cannot, And you cannot use that as a reference point even. All you can tell from listening to the mainstream media is that this is what they want you to believe. That's all you can tell. So it's a very good information source about what they want you to believe. But it's completely unreliable in other regards.
0: Let me let me come back then to some questions that people ask. And we don't have to spend too much time on it because this kind of thing comes up all the time. But I just want to get your your view so that it can lay a premise for what comes after that. But okay, number one, does SARS-CoV-2 exist? Because you said it hasn't been isolated. So, is is the well, virus real? Let's start there.
1: Well, here here's the answer I would give to that, and and I've given this in writing in in various articles. I say it doesn't matter. It's not an important question. Because any virus or combination of viruses could have done the same thing. You have a suite of symptoms, people, you know, you have these virologists that want to make a great career move by identifying a new pathogen that causes uh, supposedly a new disease which has an array of symptoms very similar to things we see all the time, Mm. especially if you're in a hospital where the sickest people go and run to. and, uh, and you, you use very novel and indirect methods to, to characterize it. Uh, you, you don't, you're not using rigorous scientific methods uh, where you, well, I, I don't wanna talk about the separation technology and everything, but the point is any, any virus could do because you're, you're going to have this winter cycle of all-cause mortality. The media is causing everyone to wear these COVID glasses you've got a faulty pcr test that does not detect whether or not mm. uh the person is infected with a virus that is actively that the person's actively fighting in their bodies right now uh it doesn't it doesn't tell you anything about that um i could i could tell you more about the pcr yes. and and what it does tell you and what it doesn't tell you but that th- those are the that's part of the glasses that you're wearing so in the end you could do that that sequence of things with in hand in hand with the propaganda, I would argue that the PCR technology that was developed uh, um, is part of the propaganda. Okay, and you if you did that, you could have done it with any viral respiratory disease or combination. Not even mm-hmm. have to identify them, and you would get all the same results. If you lock people down and made them. Destroyed their lives in the way that you did, you would get the extra deaths in the United States any year. It wouldn't. Yes. It wouldn't you don't need a special virus yes. for that. You don't need a particular one, a particular strain that you know the genetic code for, or anything like that. You don't need that. So my answer to the question is, it doesn't matter. Right. There's no. It's not. It doesn't really. There's no point arguing about it. You know. Sure. Okay. But then, Prof, by extension. Does
0: it cause COVID? And and again, by further extension, what is COVID?
1: It's it's this is all part of the narrative that was yeah. constructed, right? COVID nineteen is a suite of 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 symptoms which, which are not unique. They just put some symptoms together. They said we'll call this condition COVID nineteen. That is tied to and associated with this new virus that we'll call SARS-CoV-2 that uh, no one's ever identified, but we think we have a genetic sequence for it. Since we have a genetic sequence for it, this is interesting Jeremy, you know you've all you've got is a genetic sequence on paper, and on that basis you can do a lot. You can design a PCR test using part of that, you know, certain genes as targets, and say well if I detect a piece that, that's like this, then I'll say that I have uh, this particular virus, okay? You can do that without ever having the virus. In fact, the 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 Cormans mm-hmm. article that developed the PCR stats, they admit it front, We don't have an isolate. We don't have a sample. Samples don't exist of this virus. So we have to work from the genetic sequence that's been provided. And here's what we did, and here's how we did it. So you're detecting a piece of a genetic sequence on something, and, and you're just- saying, therefore, I've got a live virus. So, so once you have that, that genetic sequence on paper, you can do wonderful things. You can mm. make, make a, a, a completely faulty PCR test that then becomes the norm for detecting this thing. But also, importantly, if you have only a sequence on paper, you can design a, a messenger RNN vaccine. You don't ever have to know or have the pathogen or be able to, to reproduce it in a lab you can make the, 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 the messenger RNA and a vaccine, okay? And Without having anything it. other than just knowing what the genetic sequence is. That's important because with a traditional vaccine, mm. you have to isolate the pathogen and you have to make a lot of it. You have to culture the pathogen in order to then kill it and use it in your vaccine or weaken it somehow or make a weakened version of it and reproduce it. You have to have live cell cultures or live animals or live organs in order to culture the pathogen in order to then purify it and 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 use it to make this vaccine that's a traditional route you don't have to do any of that if you're going to use this this novel technology that's never been widely used to vaccinate people which is this mRNA messenger RNA vaccine you don't need any of that you don't need to so you're simplifying the manufacturing process you're never going to have to use live cultures live animals or anything like that you're 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 making a pure product a messenger RNA in a laboratory synthesis you don't have all that messy organisms around it's cheaper easier to control the quality and then you have to argue that this technology actually works you have to say you have to try to argue from the literature that if you send uh, strands of mRNA into the body, they will properly go into cells and, and, then, and then reproduce, eventually come out of the cells and your immune system will recognize them and so on and so on. You have to, you have to follow the narrative. But the problem is, naked mRNA gets, gets uh, attacked by the body's defenses right away because it shouldn't be in your body and that's the, those particular ones so so it gets taken out it has a very uh, small lifetime so you have to encapsulate it in something so you encapsulate it in this in this lipid thing the problem is most of these lipids themselves are toxic and and the body responds to them and mm-hmm. so on and you just and so you 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 develop this technology with a narrative of how it works and um you can you can do all that because you're backed by these tentative laboratory experiments uh, on messenger RNA um, and you can produce a vaccine without ever having the pathogen in hand but that doesn't sound like that? good science and I'm not a scientist <laughs> there's an understatement it's not it's it's good business is what it is okay it's it's meant to be good business it's not this is the opposite of a rational world where you do things for the good of people and humanity it's it's so, the opposite of that
0: hold on so prof are you saying then that that this vaccine is nonsense
1: i'm saying that it probably is in my view having read what i read knowing mm-hmm. now what i know about how these uh that, you know mRNA vaccine, in quotation technology, has been around for about a decade. They've been testing it and developing it and inventing it and telling the narrative about it. Um, But what I read in that literature does not convince me at all that you could make an effective vaccine by this technology. doesn't convince me at all. You know, you get an immune response. Well, you're going to get an immune response when you put something in the body. Uh, uh, You put a bunch of but almost anything you're going to get an immune response is it an immune response that actually protects you from the next time you get this or a similar virus that's the question is it effective you can't even you don't even know what your uh if you wanted to oh, it's just crazy even if you wanted to test it on animals you don't even have a pure. They're using mixed samples of a bunch of viruses that cause another animal to be sick, and they're hoping that the virus of interest is in there. And they're using that to infect after they've vaccinated. I mean, that that's. This is all very. This is all. This is not, uh, you know, high tech in the sense of being exact and precise. There's a. There's this is wet chemistry. It's messy. It involves living organisms. It involves. Uh, trying to interpret the results uh mm. that are uh not cut and dry in themselves, you know how was the organ attacked, which organ was attacked to which degree was it attacked and and down to the so so this is very tenuous stuff they like to they like to package it nicely, put it in a nice bottle, give it nice names, draw nice pictures when they tell the narrative of how this thing works, but in reality, this is messy stuff, really messy stuff and it's bad and science well it's 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 worse than bad science because this particular vaccine the only thing they've managed the only thing they've tested so far is to some degree whether it's lethal will it kill mm. a lot of people in the trials okay they're admitting that it's not particularly effective at preventing you from being reinfected and they haven't demonstrated that it is but they they have taken young healthy adults and demonstrated that relatively few of them get very sick and only i think it was two of them that died in the first trial or something now here's the problem jeremy an elderly person is so different Mm. in terms of their metabolism and their bodies from a young healthy person that it's almost a different species (laughs) i mean the, the 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 flora in your gut is different which informs your brain differently you know there's a lot of science on how different the bodies of elderly people are compared to young healthy people all right so they have not tested for safety this vaccine on elderly people whatsoever and yet they are in priority in many countries giving the vaccine to elderly people under the pretext that they're the most vulnerable and that they therefore need to be most protected so what this means is that a a, a trial is being done using a substance That has never been tested on a safety for the relevant population and they're giving it to that population which in addition is the most frail population in 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 the society so that is unethical that is contrary to all of medical Mm. ethics since the Nuremberg code was developed it's absolutely at odds with that you cannot large-scale do an experiment on a human population without ever even having tested for safety and that is in effect what is being done because because it's it's never been tested on elderly people and then what and and in addition i would add one more thing Hmm. that also means that since the the safety testing has not been done it means that the elderly person that you're proposing this vaccine to it is impossible for them to give informed consent right which is which is section two of the of the Nuremberg code okay you have to be give informed consent you cannot give informed consent if there is no in relevant information about the safety of this thing it is impossible therefore to give informed consent the the person injecting you doesn't even know how dangerous it is mm. uh, so they can't properly inform you uh, so the so you're violating the 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 foundation of medical ethics by by uh putting this vaccine out in a rush uh circumstances and saying well it it'll, it'll be perfect we'll just document how many people die. you know um in fact in israel <laughs> yes yeah, um that's... yeah in israel they have a, a, there's actually a a ministry group that uh, well mm-hmm. a group that informed that directly is with the health ministry that said we're going to say that this is experimentation on humans mm. uh, and that therefore you needed pre-approval and pre-approval presupposes that you have to do the relevant uh, safety trials. Okay? There, and so that was a big in the, in the in the Israeli uh, media and no other mainstream media talked about it around the world in the West for some reason. And it's kind of yeah. weird
0: though because nobody can sue the pharmaceutical companies that are... Pushing out this experiment well,
1: in a, in the normal society before they started changing the laws to protect Big Pharma, mm. uh, you could sue them. Of course, you could, and you should be able to in a society that protects individuals and protects itself from being degraded in this way. Uh, but you're right; many governments have uh, made these kind of no fault rules and have said, "Well, there'll be a com- there'll be you know an administrative tribunal that'll look at your claim." that will evaluate it, and the government will compensate you. Uh, that right. is now the norm for vaccines in, in the U.S., for example. Uh, and so these laws are being passed more and more. So that means that you detach uh, the perpetrator from the consequences of mm. what they did. Mm. The, other, the other huge thing is that the trials themselves are funded, run, controlled, and communicated by Big Pharma. By the manufacturer that's going to profit from this that's incredible think about it never before in modern society since the second world war have we allowed its societies have degraded to the point where we now find this to be normal that a government agency which has uh, uh, improper ties to big pharma itself in terms of you know uh, uh, rotating employees and funding and everything, that the government agency is receiving information that Big Pharma wants to give it, that it decides it's going to give it. Sure, there's a legal obligation that mm-hmm. they have to divulge what they did and what the dangers are, but in actual fact, in practice, they they make up the spreadsheet. They write the report. They choose um, um, to okay they're making billions of dollars is there any chance that they're going to falsify one of these reports is there any chance is there any probability ask yourself Mm. you know people's careers uh, all these employees uh, the executives that are going to get bonuses uh, the huge amount of money that's involved and and they're supported by the entire uh, uh, system is there any chance that when they, when they communicate safety information to the FDA, that maybe there'll be some bias, that maybe there'll be some faulty information or omissions? Sure, they'll have good reasons for the omissions, but is it possible that that'll happen? Um, just to confirm
0: what you're saying, I saw a graph yeah. about maybe a month or two ago that showed the amount of spending by the largest lobby groups in the United States and by more than double the number one biggest spender or the biggest lobbyist is big pharma
1: yeah big pharma is huge Mm. and so is agri-food you know uh genetically modified crops and all of the specialized products that you sell with them uh glyphosate no one's talking about glyphosate glyphosate has huge the mass use of glyphosate has huge health repercussions that are proven in the scientific literature cause all kinds of gut diseases that we've never seen before and so on. Um, so this is the world we live in. This is, the, the institutions have been captured. They are corrupt. Mm. There is no longer uh, professional independence. You know, this, that's one of the really great things about the COVID-19 episode is that they've dramatically perturbed society. They've made us very uncomfortable. They've made us suffer. And as a result, people are trying to figure out what the heck is going on. Yeah, and people are for the first time noticing that the medical establishment is corrupt. I mean, you have an editorial in a leading uh, medical journal where the The editor says talks about scientific corruption. Okay, Uh, it's incredible. So this this uh, massive aggression against society that's been perpetrated Mm. has caused uh, us to become aware of the degree of corruption. Of And the degree of capture of our institutions and the lack of democracy in our countries, the other positive thing uh is that ordinary people are wanting to learn and are learning a lot and are asking a lot of questions you know mm. i I'll put a scientific article on Twitter, and I get all kinds of ordinary people making comments, going in, reading the article, pulling out extracts, asking mm. what this means uh, um, I had one person just today say is there a place where we can take a course on how to read these scientific articles you know how to figure this out because it's really complicated and uh, people are actually interested and, and they're using their common sense mm. they're requiring huge amounts of knowledge and often good solid knowledge regular people are doing this more and more I mean it's it's being very educational for for a large part of people there is also the phenomenon of spinning out into extreme uh uh you know theories about what's mm. going on. That can happen and it's normal. You're trying to figure things out. You you see all these unexplained aggressions against you and your family and your society mm. and you're trying to figure out what could possibly be happening, you know? So it's normal to to project dangers. Any any animal would do that, you know. Monkeys see a shadow and they think it's a lion. They they run for the trees. Exactly. Prof, yeah. I, I, I've got a
0: bunch of questions from my viewers, and um, but I, I don't want to break the flow just yet. um, So I'll get to the questions just now, if you don't mind. Uh, sure. Sorry, by the way, I see that I just look at my time here and I see that we've reached about an hour. Do you, do you mind hanging around a bit longer? We can go longer. Oh, fantastic. I'm Great here. Stuff. Let's do it. great yeah thank you um okay you were just talking about well i mean okay it doesn't really matter because it's all linked but one of the things i was i've been trying to find a way in is i wanted you to tell me a little bit about your understanding of masks because this is a massive problem um and it's not a problem that's just here in south africa it's global and it goes beyond And again, I've got to re-emphasize this. I'm not a scientist, okay? But I have read a lot over the last 10 months, more than I probably ever would have in my life were it not for this so-called pandemic. But the one thing I have learned is that masks, and correct me if I'm wrong, masks have very little impact on viruses. And when I say masks, I'm talking about a scarf, a buff, a surgical mask, and even an N95 Tell me, tell me a bit more, and and put me in my place if oh, I've got it well,
1: wrong. Listen, I've I've written several major articles about this. the The way that I co- sort of uh, broke into this area of COVID was my first article on masks that was deplatformed from ResearchGate. The title actually was "Masks Don't Work: A Review of Science Relevant to the Policy of COVID 19 and uh, the you know the 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 ResearchGate people freaked out. Anyway, all it was was a review of the scientific literature. Okay, listen, Jeremy, here it is. It's really simple. In medicine, you have things you want to do to people, treatments uh, of some kind or another. It can be uh, a vaccination, it can be wearing a mask, it can be an operation, it can be whatever, okay? The problem in medical science is that when you do these treatments, different individuals respond in dramatically different ways to the treatment. The person-to-person differences are large Mm. compared to the benefit of the treatment. Okay, that's the key. So because of that, uh, medical science has developed a very good protocol to address that difficulty when they're trying to figure out if a treatment is good or not. They do what's called a randomized control trial. A randomized control trial means that you have a control group, or a placebo group if you want to call it that and the group that you apply the treatment to and you you choose the individuals for this group at random so that you're not selecting only the sick people to be treated or only Mm -hmm. the sick people not to be treated or only the even even things like uh, for example it's known that uh certain asian groups respond very violently and are more often allergic to certain chemo treatments so you have to randomize you have to take a large enough group and randomize so that your control group is similar enough and large enough to, and then you look for differences, average differences of the treatment uh, control versus the group that you apply the treatment to. That's the gold standard for figuring out if a treatment is effective. Yes, it's the only thing you can do in a situation where the benefit is small or comparable to the individual to individual differences okay so in this area of science you need to do randomized control trials well there have been several large randomized control trials to figure out if masks are of any benefit in terms of reducing the risk of transmission of a viral respiratory disease there have been 15 policy grade such studies where in addition they do what's called verified outcome, which means they analyze if you actually were infected by the virus, um, by by a lab measurement. They don't just rely on anecdotes of, yes, you were coughing more yesterday and that kind of thing and and asked you by phone. Some studies do that. But if you take just the the quality studies where you remove all the bias by doing it properly this way, there have been 15 large studies in many different environments, in homes, in healthcare facilities, in the general population mm. now recently in Denmark, all of them, all give the same result. We cannot detect a benefit in terms of reducing the risk of being infected.
0: What kind of mask, okay? sorry.
1: Oh, they do all kinds of masks. There have been these, um, one. there's a class of these uh, measurements that compare the N95 mask to the regular surgical masks and they all find no difference between the two. That should tell you something already. Sure. There's no difference in terms of protecting you from this virus between those two types of masks. So if you look at... But generally, there the, the great majority of these studies, it's surgical masks, okay? So they actually were distributing sur- surgical masks to the people uh, in, in that branch of the trial. So so this means, Jeremy, that there, the benefit is too small to be detected by science. It's it's not statistically meaningful. The it's only right. thing that comes out in some of the trials that is statistically meaningful, for example, is that some of the healthcare workers that were wearing N95 masks got a lot of headaches, way more than the people that weren't wearing them all the time. So there's there, there are things you can see like that that are statistically significant. But in terms of protecting you From the viral respiratory disease it is the 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 benefit cannot be detected now what that means is that science has spoken masks do not work period it doesn't matter what you believe about the mechanism of transmission it doesn't matter what you imagine the the droplets or the cough balls or whatever you want to think of are doing it doesn't matter that a piece of cloth can filter out droplets when you cough into it Mm. none of that matters you do a proper randomized control trial. You do it's 15 of them now that have been done, that are that have been reviewed and looked at again and again, and they all have the same conclusion. We cannot statistically see a significant difference. That this means the difference is too small to be detected by what? an experiment designed to detect the effect. Good God! So to to say anything else now and you see that's the problem is that governments have reversed this principle of the precautionary principle okay they've reversed it the government is supposed to in in a potentially dangerous treatment such as preventing people from breathing causing them to put humidity on a cloth and therefore there's this bacterial uh perfect medium for bacteria to grow it's there's all kinds of potential dangers with any potential dangerous uh, thing that the government wants to do they have the onus to show that it's not dangerous that's what the precautionary principle is they're supposed to do this before they apply the measure and they have reversed it they're applying the measure and then asking whether or not scientists could demonstrate that they were right to do that (laughs) it's just it's an upside-down world so backwards yeah all backwards it's all backwards and and um, so masks the mask question is it is answered by randomized control trials that's all there is to it now knowing that masks don't work you can ask why is it mechanistically as a scientist what do you think and I can tell you as a scientist that I am convinced that the main transmission route is fine aerosol particles that are part of the fluid air if you have a uh, you know, a cloud of fine aerosol particles in the room that you're in or wherever um, and you're wearing a mask and you're breathing with that mask, there are low impedance routes around the mask everywhere through the biggest pores in the mask and so on where the air will get in, otherwise you can't breathe. And, and th- these very minute particles are part of that air and they're going to go straight into your lungs, period. That's all there is to it. Now, in addition to that, it takes very few of these virus-laden particles to infect you. The the so-called uh, minimal infectious infectious dose is very very low with these with these uh, types of diseases the viral respiratory diseases. So you don't it doesn't matter even if you could filter out um, let's say ninety percent of the aerosol particles. Even if you could hypothetically, ten percent of them is a hundred mm-hmm. times more than you need to infect the person. Okay, and every time you breathe, you're breathing in ten percent of them. So, so you can. Uh, discuss things in terms of the mechanisms after you know and and, and postulate mm. what's going on why it doesn't work but the first thing is to determine is there a benefit and the only scientific way to do that is the randomized control trial does that does that help yeah well yes definitely yeah, yeah. um
0: <laughs> in actual fact it's brilliant i'm gonna i'm gonna chop that bit out and and uh, put that onto twitter <laughs> Great. It's a, it's a wonderful uh, soundbite. Okay, I I need to get to some of the viewer questions, otherwise I'm going to be uh, ignoring them, and I don't want to like, do that um, because they make the show happen, um, Prof. Absolutely. I apologize for the random nature of the questions, but that's just no, the way no, it is. No, no, All right. So random better. All right. Um so this question says but the symptoms vary so widely is it correct to still call this a respiratory viral infection
1: oh boy that's a loaded question um yes sick people have very different symptoms from one person to the next um but they're also affected by many different pathogens and conditions right you never just die of a viral respiratory disease every time this has been looked at Uh, They analyze uh, the fluids, and they find several viruses uh, being co-multiplied in the the infected person's body, Mm. okay? Uh, Typically two, three, four, five of just the ones they're able to detect. And in addition to that, what generally kills you is not... See, the thing is, uh, uh, bacterial pneumonia cooperates with viral infections. Yes. So you're going to get a lot of people dying from bacterial pneumonia that were first infected with this viral infection. Um, also, whenever a viral infection um, demands metabolic energy from you because your immune system has to kick in and do all this, all this work and all these things, it uh, removes uh, metabolic energy from the other things that your body's doing mm. to keep you alive. And in someone that already has another medical condition, is already fighting other things, uh, that puts them near the edge of death. And there can be this nonlinear reaction where they do die. So, so whenever you stress uh, the metabolism of a person that is already sick f- with with one or more several conditions, that's when people die. Right. The gen and- the, the 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 average person who gets a viral respiratory diseases virtually never dies. Mm. You recover from it. You're your immune system has learned to handle this and if it hasn't learned well enough you're going to get more sick than you would otherwise but you're going to learn in this in this cycle you're going to learn Mm. okay so so what matters in in terms of your symptoms is what conditions do you have already Uh, what is the history of of challenges of various infections to you personally what is your immunological history you know have you been infected by something similar enough that your immune system already has an edge in terms of recognizing this thing Um, all these things matter and uh, every person's body is different so someone is going you know given the same when when Cohen was doing these studies actually infecting uh, university students with uh, a known influenza strain okay different students would have very different reactions some people would complain about these terrible headaches uh, some people would have uh, a stomach flu some people you know mm. b- bodies respond differently to the same thing also and as i said in in his studies the amount of uh that was very very tied to the amount of psychological stress they were being subjected to and in reference, so I, I, sorry go on yeah yeah oh cohen's work he even wrote a a review article of all this that's relevant to COVID nineteen this year, like twenty twenty. his work is easy to find. Just look at uh stress disease and stress. Do a Google disease and stress Cohen. You'll find it all right away. Yeah.
0: In 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 reference to um the bacterial comment you made, the bacterial pneumonia comment, um Satan himself, I mean sorry, Fauci himself. Um actually did a study what about a decade ago in which he looked at 1918 and Hong Kong and a bunch of other yes i know uh, pandemics um yeah in which he found that bacterial pneumonia was the leading cause of death yeah what do yeah, you make that's of right. that
1: study? there's a main paper absolutely it's a great study uh if it's the same one i'm thinking of they they went in and because they they preserved the micros the microscopy slides mm. of the you know, of the of the taken from the lungs of these people who died. Uh, they actually did a lot of autopsies, and they did a lot of uh, research to try to figure out what had happened. And when you review those slides, what you find is lungs that are attacked by uh, bacteria in virtually, you know, in, in the great majority of cases. So basically that means everyone died from bacterial pneumonia. So this was before but- there were really good antibiotics. uh, Okay, but so my wife
0: said to me a few days ago, she said, yes, but but, but pneumonia is often a result of uh, a respiratory disease, so this isn't anything breakthrough, or is it?
1: Is what a breakthrough? No, I mean... I mean, it's interesting that you have this narrative that a particular strain of a viral respiratory disease is what caused this 1919 epidemic. We know that there were mosques. We we know that there were mosques in 1918 in the U.S. Yeah, but there's this narrative by virologists that's saying, oh my God, it's the particular strain of a particular virus that can do this, and we have to define Mm -hmm. what a pandemic is and so on. But then you have this other study that says, well, actually, everybody that died, was uh, you know really infected by bacterial uh, pneumonia okay so where's your virus how, how is it that it's you're saying the virus caused this oh, the other right. thing you have to understand huh and yeah. the other thing you have to understand is that deaths during these winter cycles of, of viral respiratory disease uh, deaths are very very dependent on the on the health status of the population so when you look at the data and we and this is in my papers when you look at these, these oscillations, these winter oscillations, since the Second World War, the, the magnitude of the peak, of the all-cause mortality peak, is very high initially, right after the war, and gradually decreases until it gets to kind of like the modern value around in the 1970s, and it hasn't really budged since then. Mm. So you always have a peak of about the same magnitude since then. Um, and 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 the last integrated peak in terms of total excess above the summer baseline is the same. For example, in the, in the entire France, it's the same statistically as it's been for the last two decades. And this is true of Europe, all countries. The only place that you have something really, not even for, even for the United States, if you take just the first peak, just the first peak. Without getting into the summer and all the crazy stuff that happened due to the measures, even that peak, even that sharp mm-hmm. covid peak initially in in uh, March and April integrated does not give you an anomaly a statistical anomaly in terms of numbers okay so this is all this is this is what's happening
0: let me read you some more questions if you don't mind yeah, yeah. And, and just I just wanted to say earlier to you, which I forgot you were talking about um the vaccine probably being unnecessary. Well, I remember reading about two or three months ago the world's most cited um, infectious disease specialist, uh, uh, Professor Didier Raoul in France, and he himself said that it's probably a waste of time to to even bother making a vaccine.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, he, he is, whatever you want to say about him, one thing you have to admit is that he's an independent thinker. Mm. He has real professional independence. He I think will he's fantastic. Say what he really he, I think so too. He, he he will say what he actually thinks, and he yes. also thinks a lot about things, and it has a breadth of knowledge. And so I would trust an expert like that to give me some insights on what's really yes. going on. Okay,
0: yeah. yes, uh, interesting question. Um, do you think it's possible for radio waves to alter cells? Oh, I know where that's heading. I know that there's a bit of a conspiratorial undertone there, but but okay. So answer the question, nevertheless. Can do you think it's possible for radio waves to alter cells?
1: Yeah, this is tied to that whole G five thing, right? Five G is. Yeah, five G. I'm guessing. Yeah. I'm guessing yes. Uh, yeah, I would guess that too. Okay, listen. There's two things here. First, it is true that electromagnetic waves affect. Live tissue and live organisms and live beings and so on. Of course, that's true. Electromagnetic waves includes visible light, ultraviolet mm. light, infrared light, radio waves. They they will they will um, affect you because you are made of matter. There are electrons in there, charged particles. There's all kinds of things. Um, microwaves affect matter mm. and 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 can cause molecules to vibrate and so. On. So, generally speaking, it, it you know, no one's going to contest that uh, um, the various waves that we're that that are around us because of all the technology does affect us in a sense that there there has to be a physical response. You know, you're absorbing this yeah. radiation, but the question is, does it have a? Does it cause a physiological condition? Does it cause? A biological condition that you can measure that that is big enough that you can detect and really ascribe to that and so I reviewed the uh, the 5g literature all the people that were that have looked into that but I limited myself to scientific articles only and I concluded that there was no evidence of anything strong or anything that was worth really worrying about you know it basically, if if they set up a tower somewhere and it's the intensity is too strong and and it burns your skin, you'll know because your skin is burned, and you'll know very quickly that this is what caused it. And you'll be able to figure it out. But if for intensities that are lower than an effect that you could detect, then probably there's no effect okay. that is that that can be detected easily. So, so I, you- I I tend to think that. There's not a lot of merit in in that work, and I know that a lot of people are going to be very upset with me saying that. Well, it's a very hot, uh, uh, sensitive point with a lot of people.
0: It's, sure, okay, but Prof, what you're saying is yeah. then I, I need to I need to phone up uh, David Icke, who's been on my show a couple of times, and say, listen, David, you're a bit off on this one. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you, you, Jeremy, you have to convince yourself about whether or not. He, you, he, I am, I'm off, or you know, you. Have, one has to look at the evidence. One has to go and look at the evidence. You know, how do you, how can you tell?
0: We have one now, last question. Can I can I read you okay. one last question? All right. Um, ask the prof about his views on basically
1: um, excessive sanitizing. Well, one of the things I wrote in my last paper that was published at Panda. Is that it is now quite certain determined that uh, propagation does not occur through contact, meaning touching and surfaces and fomites. It's n- none of that uh, contributes to transmission of viral respiratory diseases or of uh, SARS. Okay, there's a big review that came out recently. I, I reviewed the review, and it's very conclusive. It's, it, it, it cites all of the article, everything that's known about that, and it was very convincing to me to look at that again. There is and I've always thought that it has to be aerosols because we know the seasonal cycle and we know the mechanism of it and so on. So uh it's not I I'm having a really hard time trying to figure out why the World Health Organization said at the beginning that it was that fomites were probably important. I just do not understand how when faced with a viral respiratory disease, they could have come up with that. It's, a, to, it's wrong, I think. And so, that means that washing your hands and washing surfaces is completely paranoid, unscientific, and useless it, with regards to propagation of mm-hmm. a viral respiratory disease. That's what it means. Now, I have to note, Raoult, who is this brilliant man that you just mentioned, He believes, I'm told, I didn't read his actual paper or anything, but he believes that transmission is mainly through contact and fomites. So we're at odds on that point. Mm. I'm reviewing the scientific literature. Everything I know, I can only make sense of this if Mm. this is transmitted by uh, aerosol particles in air. He has said, and I know that his uh, followers, if you like, the people that really appreciate his work, Mm. um, have questioned me on this. But all I'm doing is reporting what I've right. read in the science literature and what makes sense to me in terms of how I understand the epidemiology of these, of these diseases. But that is a point that we differ on. But I mean, by and large, it
0: seems, it seems counterintuitive to constantly wash your hands. You know, when I was growing up, Prof, um, my, my parents always said to me, go and play outside in the garden. Get dirty play in the mud
1: yeah well that's a scientifically a serious uh proposal that our exposure to uh, microbes and pathogens and all the the biota that are out there is is part of what makes us healthy as we are growing up because Mm. we are our immune systems have to learn about all these things that are out in the world and so that that, that's a very serious uh, scientific position that's just not something it's not just something that your mother or grandmother would say. Mm. Um, but um, pure and simple, there is no... Every time that people have said, oh, the transmission was probably by contact, when they actually looked at the study, they hadn't controlled for aerosol transmission. And it, mm. it made more sense that it would be aerosol transmission. You cannot explain um, super spreaders and hot spots of transmission with contact, because these are mm. not places where All everybody right. goes and touches everyone's nose and eyes and everything. And 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 th- th- that's not what it's about. It's about breathing the same air for a while, okay? That's why you get this. And in fact, and this is interesting, Jeremy, in 2019, the World Health Organization put out a big report about how to handle the next pandemic 20, of 20, a viral six. respiratory disease. In, in 2019, they put out oh. a big report, okay, 2019, Even and they said in there, they, they made recommendations, and they said in there the things that you should never do under any circumstances, and one of them was- <laughs> I saw that. It, it, it makes no sense to do contact tracing, for example, because mm. it's not relevant. It's just gonna mix you up, and you just don't do that. You don't spend resources doing that. That's one of the recommendations they made. They, also, because they, they were also they,
0: opposed they, to isolating people
1: yes isolating healthy people you don't do lockdowns and you only you 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 only and yeah there, there are a bunch of recommendations there that are exactly contradicted in what they then recommended the, a year later and this was this was like the summation of all knowledge that we have and the best advice we can give moving forward right this is their mega report in 2019 i mean this is the level of absurdity that we're at um, Another thing they, they did, the World Health Organization did was to write a big report in 2009, I think it was, or 2006, where they emphasized, having reviewed the literature, the importance of ventilation to prevent uh, in, in built spaces the propagation of these diseases, mm. and how many meters per second you had to if you had nothing good and all these kinds of things, right? That report was buried by them. You cannot find it. If you want to find that report, and I found it and I talk about it in my articles, you have to go into uh, uh, water quality and toxicity of water sources Mm. to find the report about ventilation in regards (laughs) to aerosol particles, okay? That's how crazy this thing is.
0: Apologies for that little glitch there. I pushed the wrong button.
1: Um, No problem.
0: I i really would love to chat to you for longer but i've had you for a long time now um and it is quite late here um i've gone through a number of the questions well no well i've gone through a few of them uh there are too many to cover prof but i think you've covered the gist of well pretty much everything (laughs) um in a in a really bite-sized kind of way but if 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 i could give you a moment or two to to leave my viewers with a very pertinent thought what would you what would you say
1: yeah i would say this i personally have come have become convinced through my reading my thought my analysis my discussions with other scientists and so on i've become convinced that if They had not made this fuss. If there had not been the propaganda campaign and everything that was tied to it, and if there had not been the government responses, Mm. then there would not have been, we would not have noticed any unusual deaths beyond the usual mortality that is seasonal in our societies. We just wouldn't have noticed anything. I've become convinced of that. So in that sense, it has been... A fabrication it has been a terrible um lie. Polit- political blunder well I think it, it was not a blunder it was a campaign I think I think they intend to do this um, you there's a lot of money involved but there's more than money involved mm. and now this would open up a whole other topic which is the <laughs> geopolitical side I don't know if you want me to say a few words about that please but- no please Go ahead. Well, okay. Uh, you know, the thing that th- that is most threatening to the global elite that still control many things in the Western world, the thing that's most threatening to them is p- people. And especially the middle and working class. I mean, the professional classes are completely indoctrinated and bought out and everything. They're, they're, they're not a threat. Mm. But you've got all these other people in the middle class uh that are a real threat because if they start talking among themselves and decide who to elect and actually elect people that represent them and do things like that it becomes very dangerous for them Mm. you know we live in a a very crazy world where the actual bosses are invisible the people who tell our politicians Mm. what's a smart thing to say these days and which pandemic we should worry about and 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 how your finances should be run nationally and so on the people who 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 run the place uh, we don't know what their structure is we don't know who they are exactly we mm. don't know uh, what their mechanisms are what the controls are we don't know anything and uh, so they are vulnerable because more sooner or later people are going to want to know who these people are and how they operate and 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 they're going to want to enforce transparency And accountability sooner or later, because it's become so obvious that we're run by this global cabal, you know, and so so they are vulnerable. And the the way they can defend themselves against people who might become political and might organize and might start having ideas and learning things on their own and so on, the way they can defend against that one way is to have complete surveillance and complete control of the Internet environment. And to isolate them so they're not meeting, so they're not talking, so they can't easily organize into political parties and so on. And when they do, you know everything about them because they're doing it on Zoom and they're doing it uh, by communication methods that you can peer into whenever you want. And also very important, you have to be able to shut off that they can travel, especially you don't want mixing to jurisdictions. You don't want a lot of uh, people going to jurisdictions where they're not able to surveil you. Someone else is surveilling yeah. you. If you go to China, go and live in China for a while, and all of a sudden, the these uh, people that do surveillance for um, the Western globalists don't see what you're doing, who you're talking to, what you might be saying, how you're organizing things, and then and then you travel back with that knowledge or whatever, you know. And, and so they don't they don't want travel. They don't want freedom. They don't want. Um, Things that the government, the government, you know, in broad sense, doesn't know about, mm. can't control, because um, we're a great danger to them if we decide to have some democracy and some transparency and some accountability. That's that would be dangerous. So they're, I think, they're deadly afraid of that. And, and I mean, one of the,
0: yeah, yeah. No, I mean, and I was going to add to that. You mentioned democracy, and and I was going to, you know, put on my tinfoil hat for a second there and and say that, you know, maybe, you know, swing an election that favors China. Oh, did I say that out loud?
1: (laughs) An election that favors China. Well, that that might favor um, having economic ties with China, right? Because there are competing groups within the West and some people have decided that they need to cut China off because the biggest way to handle this competitor is to cut them off and to solidify what we already have, the, mm. and the continents that we exploit already, uh, versus uh, there was still a belief in the global elite that you could you could take China through investment, and through influence, through capitalism. Mm. Uh, that has failed. Uh, that has failed because the communist government is too well organized, and has maintained yeah. sovereignty on China. So... There, there are these big debates happening as to how to do this. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, uh, political uh, changes can change how we see China and how we cooperate or not in, in the world with uh, what some would see as competitors, others see as something to take over, others see as... You see what I'm saying? Yep. Yeah, all this matters. But, Prof, it has been... The greatest of pleasure chatting to you. I've thoroughly
0: enjoyed it. I I know that just about every single person who's been watching um, is a fan. Uh, Someone in the comments actually interacts with you on Twitter. Um, His name is Jason Uh, and um, he actually put me onto you. I don't know him personally uh, but he put me onto you and I am uh, so glad that he did because um, I think the world would be a much emptier place without thinkers like yourself and dare I say scientists like yourself
1: yeah well thank you I I'm I'm glad to be here and I'm glad to meet your your listeners and so on in this way Uh, it's been great
0: hopefully hopefully you'll be back
1: sure Uh, if something comes up where I am a voice that uh, needs to be heard on a particular thing I'd be happy to come back Uh,
0: fantastic Denis, prof Denis. Thank you so much for your time. I hope you have a wonderful day further. And I'll, I'll catch you on All the right. internet. Uh, by the way, I'll chat you via email because um, someone asked me for a few links to documents that you've written yes. and stuff. And I'm, I'll get those from you and add them to my website. Great. Thanks, Jeremy. My name is Jerm. This is Jim Warfare. The Battle of Ideas.